All right, well, it's, uh, it's 9.30. That only that means only one thing for women's Bible study and for me. Okay, I have a couple of things to share before. Well, let's start with prayer. Um, you guys might recognize this little red book. It's uh, the minister's prayer book. This is something that I know Pastor Bruzek used a lot before his... Sunday morning Bible studies, and I have used it ever since I have known Pastor Music in my studies that I've done either on Vicarage or at my uh, time in Brazil, so it's a cool book. It goes by the Sundays, but the Sundays up here are not from the three-year lectionary, rather from the one-year lectionary, so it's a prayer for each, and it's for pastors, but anybody can use it. It's, a, it's very good. So this is for... Um, I'll have a quick reading and then the prayer right after. So this is for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Lord God, Heavenly Father, grant unto us, we pray you, your Holy Spirit, that we may hear and accept your word, in order that being cleansed in mind and renewed in life, we may live unto you here and hereafter. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so last week or two weeks ago, this is going to be a, I promised I wasn't going to do advertising, but this is going to be a little bit more of advertising. I brought my little First Peter book here that I showed you guys, talked to you about. I talked to you that there was this one. Again, I don't want you to go out and buy it. But I talked to you also about the other one. This is the pretty one with the cover. And there's some lambs right here. And inside is the same thing except some fancy lettering. So it's pretty cool. I mean, Milena brought it since, uh, since I mentioned it last week. Thank you. Let's try to cover some ground that we have already covered for a little bit, just so we could get into the hang of what we're doing. We are not, I have some handouts, but the handouts are just copies of last week's. They're still session two. So if you have session two, you're going to be on the right track. Two weeks ago, we talked about just who Peter was. So two weeks ago, we talked about Peter. Last week, we started to touch on what this letter is and what it is not. Things that it addresses, the people to whom it is sent. Uh, we got the maps, right? If you need some uh, fancy maps, there's some extra copies of maps right here. Uh, the yellow is uh, where we saw that this letter is sent to. Let's talk a little, little, little bit more about that. Because this is really one of, the, one of the things that's very important to us. Who did we say this letter is to? Or if you're an English teacher, to whom is this letter addressed? <laughs> one of my most influential people in my life was my junior year high school English teacher. So, and she was a stickler. So who, uh, to whom is a sent? Who are these people? Congregations, right? Uh, but talk to me 
about, oh, okay, well, I can say this. Is it to one congregation? No. Yeah, right, we talked about the letter being circular. But who are these people? What do they look like? What do they believe? What's their background? They are Jews. Do they believe in Jesus, though? Yeah, right. So this is, yeah, right. In that sense, they are Jewish Christians. Could there be some Gentile Christians in the mix? Yes, right? Remember we talked about how there are some things in this letter who, if you're Jewish and you hear it, your ears are like, oh, I've recognized this from the Old Testament. And if you're Gentile, you're just like, okay, this is all new to me. But then there are other parts of this letter when he says, you are now a chosen race. You're like, huh, well, I wasn't a chosen race because the chosen race are the Jews. But now Peter's saying that now I am. So there talks to both. So yeah, that's very good. I don't know if we talked about persecution. And this is a big part of this study. And I waited until today to really talk about the persecution part. And I think that this is one of the reasons this letter is most helpful for us today, is how these Christians were being persecuted. Because, yeah, I have a quote here. Let me, uh, let me read that for you, if I can find it. The persecution in view is the kind carried out, not with fire and sword, but with words, words of ridicule, slander, and sometimes formal accusations against crimes, I'm sorry, formal accusation of crimes against society. What do you hear in this? This is a specific commentary to First Peter uh, that I pulled this off of. Uh, what do you hear in this? Sounds like bullying. Okay, what does it not sound like? Let me start with that. What is not happening to these Christians? Physical torture. Physical torture. Death. Uh-huh. Death for what are they not experiencing? Denounce your faith. Yeah, right. So they're not being dragged into prison and saying, deny your faith or we're going to cut your head off. It's not there yet with these Christians. Nowhere really in this letter does... Paul talk, uh, uh, Peter, talk about um, people being dragged into, into prison for their faith. There's another kind of persecution going on at this time. Uh, and it's not yet this physical one. Uh, for example, what's a very popular type of persecution against Christians that happened a little later? Where are they being sent to? Famous place in Rome. Yeah, man, right? They're going to have to play with lions. It's not happening yet, right, at this time that Peter's writing. So it's not yet this big physical persecution. So this is a really nice quote that I really like, that the persecution in view is the kind carried out not with fire and sword, but words. So is it you, Carol, that said bullying, right? And um, you're suddenly different than everybody else around you now that you're a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian. Um, you don't talk like everybody else around you. You don't go to the same places as everybody else around you. 
You don't now worship the same gods as everybody else around you. So now you're starting to look and do different things, and people are beginning to notice that, and now they're beginning to react. The government really doesn't care too much right now what these Christians are saying or doing. They're sort of like, yeah, you do what you want. But the people around in their town, right, it's a very communal kind of system. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows what everybody looks like and does and smells like and eats. And now if you start doing something different, hmm, what's going on over there? So this is the kind of persecution that is going on in Peter, uh, in First in Peter, in this area that we talked about. And in some ways, it is can be similar to what's going on today. Maybe not in Wheaton, maybe not in a town that's very Christian where everybody attends a church and everybody, there's a church in every block, but maybe in other parts of the country, in other parts of, of, of the state, where if you're a Christian and you say certain things and you act a certain way and you're against or for things and you stand up for Jesus, there'll be words against you. You're not going to get thrown in prison. You're not going to get thrown to the lions physically, but there will be, um, you'll be ostracized. I, uh, I experienced that in the sense, in that very, you know, simple sense. Uh, when I was a high school teacher, for example, I didn't feel like I was ostracized, but I was definitely the only Christian. This was back in the Northeast in New England. And People were very kind to me, but they definitely made sure to let me know that I was the only Christian in the room. If it was sitting down with the teachers, you know, I might have one older teacher who was, you know, Catholic or something like that. But uh, they aren't, nobody went to church. Nobody even thought about that. You know, maybe the time they went to church was if there was a wedding, but not even Christmas and Easter. That was long gone. So I got to live in a, uh, in a, a place in the United States where... Christians are definitely the minority. Uh, and if you spoke a certain way or, like I said, had different views on things or a different worldview or lifestyle that didn't fit in with the culture, you would, be, you would stand out. Right? Now, if you were bullied or not, that's a different situation. But you were definitely different. Just the fact that you had something going on on Sunday morning in your life in a church, already made you different uh, from everybody else. And in this letter, there is a, it's similar in the sense that these people are now doing different things and the community's noticing. And the community may not be very favorable to what's going on. So that's what I want to keep in mind throughout, from today until the end, is how they are acting and how they are being told to live and what they are being called to do by God in that situation that they are in. And Peter's going to talk more about what it looks like. And that's what I want us to focus on. I wanted to write on the board, too. I'll leave this for later. I'm sorry. Let's go into, let's go into the letter. We stopped on our handout more or less at the, maybe you help me here. I think it was, I think we finished point two, didn't we? 
Yeah, we did because we talked about, I remember talking about the, uh, the prophets, that they were doing this for you. If you have this sheet of paper, the one that says session two, page one on the bottom, the last line says, they were serving not themselves, but you. I want you to sort of circle or underline that word you. And I want you to listen to that word again or that sentiment again as we finish chapter 1. We have, I think, a handful of verses from 13 to 25. That finishes chapter 1. And I want you to keep in mind that for you. How many times Peter says, you know, everything that just happened with the prophets, you know, everything that just happened to Jesus, you know, everything that just happened with the gospel now being proclaimed, it's for somebody. And listen to who he says, to whom he says, it is for. So let's actually look at the text. Let's go, and we're going to finish up the chapter. Could somebody read from 13 to 16? Just those three verses, please. I have a, probably a different translation if you want to read. What do you have? I have the New Testament, God's Word to the Nations, NIP, NAP, New Evangelical Trans. Let's give it a try, Carol, yeah. To 16? 13 to 16. Now then, get ready mentally for action. Keep a clear head and be perfectly sure of what God's grace is bringing you when Jesus Christ appears. Being children who obey, do not live according to your lust as you once did when you did not know any better. Rather, as the one who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your ways, since it is written, Behold, be holy, because I am holy. What do you think that Peter is, well, what do you think by the first words that Carol just read, what is he talking about? Preparing your minds for action. What is that actually, what, what is he talking about here? Preaching, that they are starting to preach. They are starting to preach, Krista said. Huh. What else? To turn from the old ways. Is it good enough that I believe in Jesus and sit in my chair until he comes back? What is Peter actually asking these people to do? Get, Get moving, right? Prepare your minds for action. Sober-minded, clear-headed, with your hope fully on the grace that's going to be revealed to whom? What does he say? To you, again, that starts the to you, to you, to you. It's coming back, it's coming back. And uh, interesting enough, what does he assume you are on verse 14? Obedient children, as obedient children. That's, how you, that's what you are. I'm not asking you to be obedient. I'm assuming you are obedient already as obedient children. 
I want us to, let's see, I put somewhere here in this, you know what, let's keep reading because we're going to get to that question. Somebody then finish up, please, 17 to 19. Just 17 to 19. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. This is good. Uh, yeah, somebody could pick it up for uh, 20 and 21. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him who believed in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. And then somebody, 22 to 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Beautiful. Did you have you do you hear anything? Anything catch your ear in these verses from 13 to 25? Anything that we've talked about before that is coming back? Or things that come back just in these verses that are repeated over and over? Then, let's keep that, what you just said last, let's keep that again. How was it won? By the precious blood of And not with gold that what? What does he say? That perishes. Then go to the end of the section we just read, and what else does he say? Verse 23. Keep going. Again, he brings that again. So I asked early in this class two weeks ago, why is this a circular letter? Somebody said, because he says the same thing over and over. Even though that wasn't the right answer, look what he's doing. This is one of the beautiful things about Peter in this letter, is that he's not satisfied with just saying the same thing. This letter could have been one chapter, but it's five. 
because he says he gets the simple truth and he keeps saying it beautifully over and over in this way. And I love this. And this is one of those things where he's talking about how we were bought, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Has he already talked about the blood of Christ up until this point? When? What is in, in verse 19 you said, Milena? Right, but he says this even before. And it says what in verse 11? Mm. I'm looking for the sprinkling with his blood. Have we talked about that already? Verse 2. Thank you. All the way in the beginning. He's already mentioned the blood of Christ in this first chapter. Now a few lines later, he's going to mention it again. What we just read. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. He wants these people to know exactly who they are. God wants you to know exactly who you are. This is another beautiful thing about the Word of God. It tells us who God is, and it tells us who we are. We would lose so much if we would just read this letter saying, okay, what do I do now that I'm a Christian? Rather, it's much better if you have the mentality of, who does God tell me I am now that I am His? If you have those glasses on as you're reading this letter, I don't want to be a theologian of the glory here, but you come out reading, feeling pretty good. You're like, man, I was nothing. And look who I am now. Sprinkled me with his blood. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. I'm a poor person. And he's saying that gold and silver isn't enough to purchase me. And I thought it would be because I don't, have, I don't even have gold and silver. And he's saying that I've been purchased with something greater than that with the precious blood of Christ, having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth for sincere brotherly love. Then he goes into, what do we, now how do we live? Now that we know who we are, in, in chapter, in verse 22, a sincere brotherly love, love. I love that. He says it twice. If you have the ESV, it goes love, comma, love. Love how that was translated. Um, earnestly from a pure heart. Interestingly, uh, whoever started today's reading, I forgot, uh, oh, it was uh, Carol. If you look at verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded, clean-headed, like level-headed, there's nothing in there bothering you. And then it ends with, now purify your heart. Having a purified heart. This whole mind and heart working as one. It's not just a head thing. It's not just a heart thing. It's a whole body thing. You have a pure mind and a pure heart. Let's go to our sheet here. 
now that we read the entire um, chapter, the latter half of the chapter. Rose of Lima, she says, apart from the cross, there is no ladder by which we may get to heaven. You can say that sounds really, really good. Or you can be nitpicky and says, well, she's saying that we've got to climb our way to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm going to say that's not what she's saying either. You know, that, oh, now there's a ladder. She's just saying, here's the cross, and this is the way you get to heaven. And I like that. And I think this is what Peter is getting at. Here is the way and the only way. What is our response to receiving such a divine gift? What does Peter say the response is? Now that all of this has happened, who are you and what do you do? Just based on this first chapter. Okay, so that's specifically from that chapter, right? Give me, a, give me not a verse, but what does he say? He says that early. I think you might have read that, or the person right after you. Right after verse 13. No, you answered it. There you go. Uh, how are we... Uh, that's the question one there. Question A. What is our response to receiving this gift? What else does he say? He uses other words. He comes back. Again, he says the same things. What's the other way he says it? Yours has deeply? Yeah, some of us have earnestly. All right, what else does he say? He says something else, too. And it's a word we don't like to use because it sounds too harsh. Verse. Did somebody say something? No. Strangers. Live as strangers. Conduct yourselves. Which verse again? Seventeen. Live your lives as strangers. Oh right. <gasps> yeah. Right. If you know Luther, fear, love, and trust. Yeah, and then there is one more thing here. If you look at verse 14. Obedient. Obedient children living not in the passions, right? Not in what you want to do all the time, not what your head and your heart tell you to do. That's the old life. That's not you anymore. This is you now, right? This is the instruction he gives. Let's keep going on the sheet here. How should we see this response? Yeah, good. That was going to be my next question in my head um, without looking at the sheet. So how do we see this? Because this is now the, where we have the division of the waters. We say, wow, this is really, really, really good news that God has sprinkled us, Jesus has sprinkled us with his blood. This is awesome. What do we call that in fancy uh, theological terms? 
It's not that fancy, actually. Sanctification. Uh, no. Grace. The gospel. Justification. Baptism. Baptism. Do we do this or is this done to us? It's done to us, right? So this is... Oh, we're so excited for this. We're so excited when we see a baby, you know, getting his water splashed on his head. When somebody comes to communion, we're so excited. This is being done to us. Yeah, nice, 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 nice. <gasps> but then we get to this. It's, I can't do this, man. This is too much. No way. So a lot of... I've been surprised at how, at how people split this. Where they say this is all sounds really good and gospel, and it's on one side completely like the good news section, where everything's rosy and everything's nice and everything's new and everything's clean, and then this side, oh, that's dark, that's heavy. I don't, know, I don't know if I can. And that's such a false dichotomy, because that's not how Peter at all is talking. Peter's not saying. Look at all the stuff you have that was done to you. And now look at all this heavy stuff you have to do now that you're a Christian. Put a sad face on and a frown because it's going to be hard and heavy. And this is all going to be really, really hard. And forget, you know, the joy. But then this is tough and sad. Uh, you're leaving out the therefore. Therefore. What do you mean, Carol? Well, because of... What's the word that Peter mentions twice in the first half of the first chapter that we talked about last week? That's not a really good question. That was a poor question. But he says, in this you rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in this, but not so much in this. Is this I mean, does this sound like what Peter's saying? Yeah, we rejoice in this because this is all great news and I'm now saved and I'm part of a chosen race of people and I got sprinkled with blood and bought with gold. Things that are more valuable than gold, rather. But then this, that's not really joyful. I don't like this. I don't want to be obedient. I don't want to live in reverent fear. Loving one another, that's really hard. I can't be holy. That's too much of a high bar. That's not what Peter's saying. Now that you have all of this, therefore, in this, you rejoice. They keep, he keeps talking. He says that twice, right? Here it is. Verse 8. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with... What does he say? Rejoice with what? Joy. Rejoice with joy. I love that. The verb and then the, uh, the noun. You rejoice with joy. And, um, and I think that Pastor Bruzek likes to talk a lot about this. The distinction of law and gospel. We look at this and we say, this is beautiful law. And then we look at this and we say, oof, this is heavy. I mean, sorry, this is beautiful gospel. And then we look at that and we say, oh, that's heavy law. 
you have to do this, this, and this. I want you to read this first chapter when you're at home sometime this week, the entire chapter, and say, is this how Peter, is this how God wants me to feel after reading this chapter? Of being like, man, I'm weighed down by this. This is really heavy. I can't do this. Or is he giving us reminders? Remember, reminder in faith that we talked about last week? Or is he giving us reminders to be joyful and to live a life that God wants us to live? Somebody a long time ago somewhere said to me, we're talking about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the pure in heart. This person was uh, teaching a Bible study a long time ago somewhere far away. And they said, oh, I don't like teaching about the Beatitudes because it's really heavy law and we can never do those things anyway. So why bother? And I was like, like, is that how Jesus talks? Is that how his apostles talk? Like Peter and James and John and Paul? Is that what they're saying? Okay, now that I've given you the really good news that you're worth more than gold, now your life is going to be really terrible and everything's going to do you really hard and you have to be sad all the time. Is that the vibe we're getting from Peter? And I don't think so at all. So I want us to keep in our minds... Also, if you want to... Uh, I'm going to erase this. And this is a ca- these are categories that are... I made up in my mind, but somebody smarter than me probably made up before I did. I want you to read this letter saying, what has God done? It's three things. The second one is, oh right, who am I? Or, if you want to put this question in two categories, um, who who was I? That doesn't make sense. Who who was I? That grammatically makes sense. I was, yeah, I guess so. Who I was in the past, who am I now because of this, and how am I to live? Uh, everything you read, more or less, will fit into this category. And, the, and scriptures are very clear on this. What has God done? Now who am I? Who was I before and who am I now? And now, this is like the now what? Now how do I live? Now what do I do? And Peter's so clear in these points. Boom, 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 boom. Um, Let's go with uh, point C. I put 17, 18, because I'm talking about the verses. Is Peter trying to convince us? How does he argue us into Christian living? And I think that's a a trick question, because point A, I said... Is Peter actually arguing, though? What does verse 17 and 18 actually say? Somebody could read that again. Since you call on a father 
who judges each man's work impartially. Uh, just start at 18. Oh, 18. Sorry. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Okay, stop there. What's the first thing he says on that verse? You know. <laughs> you guys know this quite a bit, right? That's one of the things that I've heard on a lot of Bible studies here. This is like one of those rhetorical things. He's not asking, he's not telling them, well, let me tell you, since you don't know this, I'm going to start from the beginning. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you guys already know this. For you know that your ransom from your feudal ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. Keep going. 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before. Oh, that's good. Yeah, just there. What is he saying I was? And what is he saying happened? If we put in this, if we play with these categories here. Who was I before? What am I now? According to these verses. If we just put them in. I had an empty life that I got from whom as a gift? From my forefathers. Right? They led an empty life. I live an empty life. But then what happened? I was ransomed. I ransomed myself. No. Right? I was ransomed with this precious blood. This was done to you. And again, uh, if you're still thinking of, is this a Jewish context or a, or, a, or a Gentile context? This speaks to that a little bit. Because how does, in verse 19, what does he talk about? Christ was like a what? What does that ring like? Jewish or Gentile? Right? What's the big lamb uh, uh, story in the Old Testament? Passover, right? I can get just any lamb that I want and slaughter for Passover? It has to be a perfect lamb without blemish or spot, just like Jesus, right? So Peter's bringing all this imagery again. Okay, I want to talk some about point four, the very last verse of chapter one. Now, of course, as you know, the scripture authors didn't put verse, uh, chapters or verses, right, in the Bible. It's not like Moses said, okay, now I'm going to start chapter 2. Or maybe in his head, you know. Or, but So Peter isn't splitting this up and saying, I'm going to write five chapters. Right? Somebody later, I think it was the 18th century, actually split, or maybe before, it into verses. So when I say it's the last verse and this is how he ended chapter 1, that's, I, I, I'll be in dangerous territory saying that. However said, hey, maybe chapter 1 is the end of an idea. So let's keep just uh, play around with that. So at the end of chapter 1, we have, and this was the good news that was preached to you. I love that verse. And uh, I put a little bit of Greek on your, um, just so I don't get accused of not using Greek in the parish. 
Verse, so that word, I love that word. A one gelisthen. A one gelisthen. A verb to preach and proclaim the gospel. So point one there, right after the Greek. I tried to translate it literally. And this was the one that was gospeled to you. Why might this chapter end with this line? Why might this idea end with this? And this was... Good news. Right. This doesn't sound like good news, right? See what I'm saying? Oh, there's a lot of heavy lifting. This can't be good news, right? Have to love one another? Be holy? That's heavy. But that's how he ends. And this was the good news. This was what was gospeled to you. So is he just trying to be encouraging, not demanding? And, and that because this was done to you, now you can do all of Encouraging. If you have the official Lutheran study Bible, it says this letter was written to instruct and encourage the Lord's people as they endure suffering for the sake of righteousness, of being Christian. So absolutely. It's this encouragement to live Encouragement to do what God has you to do. Yeah. You can do this. You can do this. This is how you live. This. Now you're that. Right. Yeah. It's not, now you're saved, and it would be nice if you did this. It's not, now you're sprinkled with Christ's blood, and you have to do this or else. It's now you're saved, and this is how we live. This is how we live. If you keep trying to put it in categories, you're going to lose the game. If you keep saying, well, look at all this. I don't have to do any of this faith alone. I don't have to. I don't have to. You've already lost. If you keep saying, I must do all of these things or else I am not saved, and we keep trying to put things in those categories. We, instead of just saying, this is how it is. It's God's perfect will. God's law is beautiful. Here we are. This was beautiful. The gospel that we got, sprinkled with His blood. And loving one another is beautiful too. It's beautiful that God loves us. But it's heavy and not very joyful now that I love somebody else, that I uh, must love somebody else. See, it doesn't, doesn't quite fit when we keep saying, one is so beautiful and wonderful, and the other one is now this great, what do they call those things that you put on the back of oxen and horses? A yoke. Thank you. Yeah, oh, one is a yoke, but the other one is wonderful. I don't know. I think they're both wonderful. And I think that's actually how Peter talks. Both of these things are wonderful and beautiful. Jesus loved you. 
you love. Jesus was holy. You're holy. Jesus did the will of his Father. We do the will of the Father. Isn't this, as you've heard before, same, same? Right? Yes. Uh, I'm just looking at uh, verses 13 going forward and that the ones that sound heavy. Prepare your minds, be self-controlled, set your hope, obedient children, don't conform to the world. But it's, it's almost like he's saying, what Paul says, you, you put on, you put on Christ's righteousness. Ooh. You're mix and matching apostles here now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's you're clothing yourself, or you are you are clothed with it. You are clothed with it. Um, I, I guess it could be ours to take off. That's right. Uh, we conform to the world instead of uh, listening. Maybe I'm wrong, but a long time ago somebody said the word obey, which always sounds like to us. That's right. It does. It's, Actually, the word has to do with listening. Uh -huh. So if you listen to who you are in Christ, you listen, don't think of it as, you're going to obey somehow. <laughs> you're going to feel like it. It's more like, I'm listening. I'm listening to what God said, who God says I am. I'm remembering who I am. I'm remembering what he says. That's clothing, being clothed then. Instead of, it's listening. If I listen to the world, I'm going to conform to the world. If I listen to Christ, I will conform. I will be conformed. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, well. You said, like me in my uh, online class yesterday. I said to my prof, I think I'm rambling. He says, yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, we assume, this is, this is beautiful, thank you. We assume, everybody in this room assumes that if you don't go to church and you just hang out with people in the world, I'm not talking about necessarily evil people, but you hang out like them, you're going to start to talk and act and think like them. Right? This is something we all believe. Not even just people in the church, people in the world. You're in a culture and you're going to start to act and think and speak like they will. We take that for granted. But then when it comes to the church, we think, oh, man, for me to think like a Christian and walk like a Christian and have the mind of Christ. It's like, well, why can't we just think same, same? If you live in the world, you're going to talk like the world, you're going to think like the world, you're going to act like the world. Well, isn't it the same thing in the church, in a way? If you're in the body of Christ, aren't you going to start having the mind of Christ? Having the hands and feet of Christ? Having the mouth of Christ? The heart of Christ? Right? But sometimes we don't think that this part is possible. Because it's just too hard. It's too hard to be holy. It's too hard to love one another. Wait a minute. It happens in the world all the time where people are placed in situations and that's what they, what's difficult about the church. And I use the word difficult and you can parse that the way you want. That we're still sinners and Christ isn't. So that's the caveat and it's an important one. Because in the world, 
Really? Nobody cares if you're a saint or a sinner because it's the world. But then you're in the church. Well, you're in Christ, clothed with Christ. You have the holiest of holy garments shining, and it's just put on you. And now there are some ways that you live because now you're not in there. You have this shiny garment on you that's beautiful and clean and white, just like the lamb who put it on you. Um, Pastor, I think sometimes uh, the world is disappointed sometimes about the Christian. They have this kind of image, and then we, we are different sometimes. <clears throat> We're different than, how, than what the world expects of us? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I heard sometimes that they said, oh, and the Christian, look at the Christians. <clears throat> That's now too. Krista, I have kids in my Sunday Bible study who are much younger than you are who said the exact same thing to me. This is why it's difficult being a Christian. The exact words that you said after the experience you have in the church was said to me by a 16, 17-year-old last week. Right? So it's these, we all know this, and this expectation that the world has. But Peter has talked about that already today, which is beautiful. He says, yeah, they will. And guess what? Be sober-minded. Have a pure heart. Love one another. Because what are they going to do? Oh, oh, those people are too loving. They did accuse early Christians of that. Those people love too much. Those people are too pure and too clean. And Peter's going to talk about that in chapter 4 or 5, maybe 3, where he says, if you get accused or thrown in jail or beaten for being too holy, well, so be it. But at least that's what you're being accused of, right? Um, but sometimes that's not, what you're talk that's not what you're talking about at all, Krista. You're talking about of us being accused of, well, I am Christian, but I'm acting and speaking and thinking and saying in another way. And look at them carrying around the Christian banner and speaking, thinking, acting differently. Yeah, I mean, Peter's already talked about that. He knows that that's the situation. That's why he's saying, be blameless as God is holy. Because um, if somebody's going to accuse you, they're not going to accuse you of being a hypocrite. They're going to accuse you of just being too different than everybody else. And Christ is like, if you're going to be thrown in jail for being a hypocrite, well, that's not on me. But if you're going to be thrown in jail for being holy like I am, then I'm with you. We're same same here. Uh, what happened to Jesus happens to us. right? He suffered for being holy, and we might too. Point, we have a couple more minutes left. So, uh, point five, uh, Roman numeral. Um, yeah, we can finish. Oh, man, we didn't get to finish. Um, anything that's particularly interesting here for us to finish? Because I have three points. We didn't get through them. The overview, what are key things that Peter does not want his recipients to forget? Period. That's it. 
bought with Jesus' blood. It's imperishable. It'll never go away. Gold and silver, you can lose that. But the blood of Christ, you can't. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. I mean, we can parse this again. We can keep writing and keep answering because Peter keeps saying the things over and over. But at the end of the day, that is the key thing. He does not want his recipients to forget. Love. I need to feel about you what Jesus feels about you. I don't know. I don't have a, a, a. I don't know where that's from. Have you heard that before in this room? Might be from this room that I've heard that, but I don't know if it was or not. Um, I need to feel about you what Jesus feels about you. So B, having purified your souls for obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from your pure heart. Since you've been born again, right? Uh, Carol Holter said the word therefore that I wrote over here. How about the word since? Since you've been born again. Love. And then again, how does uh, love and obedience relate to each other? And I think we've talked about some of this. So to, let's, uh, let's actually go to the last point then in the couple of minutes that we have. Who are we? Point A that I wrote is all from 1 Peter. Obedient children, born again, sober-minded, ransomed, believers in God. In one chapter, Peter boom, 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 identifies us. This is who you are. Not, this is who you will become if you do X, Y, or Z. No, no, this is the start point. The start point is point A, right here. This is the start. Now you go, right? And because I've heard other Bible studies here that say the same thing. Uh, a lot of times we say, oh, I'm born again. I'm in the all set club. That's the end goal is being born again. The end goal is being obedient children. The end goal is being ransomed. The end goal is being a believer. That's not at all. Peter is actually flipping how sometimes we hear in other places. No, no, this is the first thing. This is the end goal is not being ransomed or born again. That's like the first square. Now you get to step elsewhere. Now you get to live as born again. Live as obedient children. Live sober-mindedly, holy, as believers in God. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, maybe this is just a repeat of what you've uh, heard before. And B, of course, I guess is how I ended. Do we actually believe this? doesn't matter, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if we believe it, because it's true already. And if we do, how do we respond as obedient children, born again, sober-minded, holy, ransomed, believers in God? What's our response? Any final thoughts before, uh, before we go? We're digging in to the text and, uh, and parsing it. I would love for you to read this first chapter at home and think about these three things. If you read thinking about these three things as encouragement in specifically that culture and our culture, think 2,000 years and think today and say, okay, these people weren't thrown in jail. These people just sounded and looked and acted different than everybody else 
and everybody gave them, you know, the, the stink eye for, or even said words to them of bullying and of discouragement. I want you to read this letter with all of those things in your mind. Uh, but starting with this, and then going and then applying it. So, uh, anything else before we go? Before we uh, pack up? Thanks for coming, friends. Let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.